Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How are you doing today? I am great. We are, do you know, one month out from Boston today. Oh my gosh. It's March 18th. I can't believe it. We've got a month to go. And yeah, this training cycle flew by. I mean, I'll be completely honest. It's kind of blown for me, but at least I'm running and I'm really happy about that. Uh, we recorded with Rachel Miller, our favorite physical therapist who's been on the podcast before. She is amazing. And we touch on what's been going on in her life since we last had her on the podcast in 2019. And the reason we wanted to have her on was because there are many folks out there, just like me, who have been navigating either uh, post-COVID uh, recovery or a little niggle or injury or just something where you're a month out from race day and you're kind of like, I know I can run, but I'm not feeling my best. And what should I do at this point to make sure that I can get to the start line healthy? And of course, we touched on this last week when we did our coaching podcast, but we wanted Rachel to come on because as an expert physical therapist and someone who sees runners all the time and really helps them navigate injuries so they can get to the start line healthy, she offered some terrific advice. So this episode is gold for anyone who is a little nervous about getting to the start line healthy and or is dealing with a setback in training where things just did not go perfectly and you've had to change a few things up to get to the start line healthy. She's here to share her wisdom and information and just make you feel better about the fact that Boston and many other spring races are about a month away. Yep. And um, we talked to Rachel a lot about um, injuries and how to manage injuries between now and race day to get to the start line healthy. And in, later this month, in a, in a couple of episodes, we're actually going to talk to a physician about running post-COVID because that has been a big topic of conversation. And we see it in our circles of coaches and in our, the runners we coach and in ourselves of um, you know people not quite feeling right back up to speed and having a lot of challenges getting back into their training after illness so versus injury, but particularly after COVID. And we are going to have a top physician um, from Emory speak to us in a couple episodes about that. So if anyone has any questions about running post-COVID or um, returning to run, um, you know, how they're feeling post-COVID, feel free to send them to us at Julie and Lisa at runfartherandfaster.com. We will be sure to ask him um, those questions on our podcast. So yeah. um, in other big news for us, as, as Lululemon ambassadors, we have been really excited this week. Um, upcoming is the launch of Lululemon's uh, running shoe, um, Blissfeel. And Lululemon has worked for the past several years to create a shoe that is um, designed specifically for women. So typically when shoes are designed, uh, they were designed kind of from a, from a, you know, a male mold of a male foot and then adapted um, to, to a woman's style. And um, Lululemon went the other way around and started with a woman and designed it around a woman's foot, um, which is very different than a male's foot. And as Lululemon ambassadors, we were gifted shoes um, to wear and to try out and to give feedback. Um, so I know I got mine. I think they're beautiful. The material looks amazing. It feels amazing. Mine are a little bit small. They sent me my street shoe size. I need my running shoe size. So I'm in the process of swapping those out before I try them. But I know you got a pair and you tried them. So I'm curious to hear what you thought of the Blissfield shoe. So first of all, we just attended a, a very interesting um, 
one hour Zoom about the making of the shoe, uh, which of course, Lisa, you just shared, the biggest premise is that it was designed for women. But we also had an opportunity to ask questions in the chat. And we asked the question of, hey, we are always telling our runners and ourselves that to uh, buy a running shoe, it's really important to go to a specialty running store and get fit, fitted by experts. And of course, everyone who's listened to this podcast even once knows that we love R&J locally and the experts there who fit all of our runners who live locally with shoes and ourselves. And their answer wasn't very clear. I know they're doing their best, but it's it's hard for us to promote just a shoe because we really believe that every runner deserves to find the shoe brand that meets their needs in terms of the shape of their foot and their gait. And by standing behind one shoe brand, that is just the opposite of what we generally recommend. So we will share what, what, what we have here. And that is number one, Lululemon is offering a 30 day trial for all their shoes. So all we can say is if you are interested in buying the shoes, and you want to give them a try, know that you have 30 days to return them. And to us, that is something that, you know, we can all control. Number two, they will not have fit experts at their store. So recognize that if you want to try the shoe when it's rolled out, great, but know that you're on your own. So make sure you buy at least a half a size up from your street size and even a whole size and recognize that even if the shoes are wonderfully made for women and everyone's talking about how wonderful they are, they, they may not be the right shoe for you. But number three, I did try them today. I wore them for a mile of my easy run and they're so cute. First of all, they are adorable shoes. Um, that being said, they were definitely a little bit too snug for my liking in my toe box. I wear a wide shoe. I always do. So these are not made in wide yet. Um, until they are, they're, they're shoes that aren't going to fit my foot great. That being said, I love them to walk my dog. And that's what I'll be using them for. So this is not saying they're bad shoes at all. They, they actually felt really nice on my heels. They were soft. They felt very cushiony, but not too cushiony. I could feel the ground. Um, I, you can tell they're really well-constructed and they're light. And I really think there are probably a lot of people out there that will absolutely love these shoes. But if you have a wide toe box like me, they're not going to work for you. Yeah, I think they mentioned on the call today, because um, we asked them about that, that um, sizing up may help. And they are designed, um, they say to hug your feet, just kind of feel like a pair of Lululemon leggings that hug you. They, there is that kind of hug feeling. And that's what people were describing. Our fellow run ambassadors were describing that it really hugged their foot. So if you're somebody who's not used to that snugger fit, or you have a wider, toe, you know, you have a wider foot, um, especially in the toe box, it may feel weird at first, but um, I think the couple things to consider, first of all, it is a neutral shoe. So if you're somebody who needs a stability shoe, it may not be the right shoe or you may need to put an insole and insert in it. And I would recommend you take it to a specialty running store and ask them if you need an insole, like a super feet in them and maybe have somebody who is qualified to look at you in those shoes, see if they fit you. Um, and the other thing is the, the 30 day uh, return that you, you do have that ability. So if you get the shoe and you try it out and it doesn't work for you, then you do have that ability to, to return it. But I will say I tried mine on and even though they're a little small, they feel great. And I was really impressed with the research and development that went into these shoes. I kind of thought at first, well, I was really um, skeptical. You know, these other shoe companies that we're used to, you know, we're used to getting our shoes from have been in business for many, many, many years and they have 
huge staff that is biomechanical, you know, doing biomechanical research and research into the latest development in running shoes. And um, I was skeptical, but after hearing the research and development that went into this shoe and the team that was behind this shoe, I have a lot of confidence in it. Again, just like you said, it may not be right for everybody. So I would say it looks beautiful. It feels great. The materials are amazing. I'm really excited about it. But just like anything else, you don't want to make a big change um, suddenly. So again, if you're going to try these out, maybe mix them in with the current pair of shoes that you're wearing for your shorter runs, see how they feel and, 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 and transition into them gradually. But we'll keep people posted as we, um, as we get more feedback and as I get my proper share pair of shoes and get to try them out a little bit more, we can keep people posted. If anyone has any questions, feel free to email us. But, um, but on that note, we'll turn it over to Rachel, who's going to talk to us about injury and injury prevention and staying healthy and how to get to that start line in, um, you know, in one month from today for those running Boston, how to get there healthy. Absolutely. So Lisa, I hope you have a great week. And um, next week, we're going to officially share our details of our podcast, a uh, live podcast, which will definitely be in Boston on Saturday, April 17th, 16th rather. And um, we are also going to be sharing next week, the details of our shakeout run, which will be Sunday morning, April 17th. And we recognize that that is also Easter Sunday. So we're gonna do our best to um, kind of get a feel for what time most people plan to go to church who are intending on going to church in Boston and do our best to work around that because we do recognize it's a holiday and we want as many people as possible to join us. So we'll be rolling out those details next week, but until then, everyone, good luck this week with your training. Remember, less is more as we roll into under one month before Boston. And I hope you have a great week, Lisa. Thanks, you too, Julie. Bye. Rachel Miller, welcome back to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. We are so delighted to have you back on the podcast after a, a few years. I think the last time you were on, it was uh, 2019. Uh, obviously, a lot has transpired in the world since then and also yes. in your life. And you taught us a phrase, Rachel, that we use regularly. And that is a phrase, a question I'm going to ask you now. And that is, how are you managing? Well, thank you both, first of all, for having me on. And it's great to see you guys. Um, yeah, a lot. A lot has happened since 2019 in many ways, obviously the pandemic, but uh, in terms of how am I managing, which I still, I still use that phrase today. Um, so I am doing well, I'll say. Um, I'm still running and I'm training for a half marathon, so that's good. And that has helped me stay sane during the pandemic. Um, I entered the world of dating apps and um, it's interesting. I never thought I'd be a person to even dive into that realm, but I did because I figured how else do you meet people in a pandemic? And I met some really nice people and we would go on hiking dates and there was a spe special someone I'll say that I met last April, his name is Scott and really nice guy. And, um, and we're, we were still dating, so things, Things are, things are okay. Managing okay. I can vouch that he is a very, very nice guy. He is <laughs> you know, deserving it's, it's of funny. Rachel's Thank wonderfulness. You. Thank you. You know, it's funny because one, um, I, I feel like I'm dealing with two different 
worlds of my own, right? I'm still dealing with grief because there's still grief. But what's great is I can talk about that with Scott, who actually is divorced and not widowed. But um, to have someone who understands that you can have a dichotomy of emotions is really important. And it's also important that I've learned that I need to accept all of those emotions and not try to be like, I'm only supposed to be this. I'm only supposed to be that. You know what? I could be all at once and that's, and that's okay. So I'm learning to, to, to let myself be that way. I love that. Figure that out? Uh, how do I figure that out? I, I guess it's just from when you meet someone that you really like, I've learned, you know, you, you're so happy, but you know, with grief, it's like waves hitting you, you know, a big wave hits you and it gets you down. And then it's like, it goes and you're like, I'm doing okay. And then another wave hits you and you're like, oh my God, I don't know if I'm okay, but I know I'll be okay. And it keeps happening like that through time. And you just realize that you, there's just, you're never going to be one and that's okay. And because if you fight that, you're never going to be happy. You have to recognize that you're going to go through a, a wide range of emotions and just take it in and deal with it and accept it and then keep going. If you don't accept it and deal with it, then it makes it harder to experience any other emotion. That's what I've learned. That's such sound advice, Rachel. You always have such a wise and succinct way of putting things, and this is no exception. And uh, while this applies to grief, it, it, it can apply to, to any kind of trauma in life, I think, by sharing your wisdom. I think you'll help a lot of listeners who, who might be dealing with things just as devastating or something devastating to them that as we talked about the last time on the podcast, just because it's not the same thing as someone else is dealing with, it doesn't mean that it's not upsetting to you. Exactly. And I was just going to say that because as a physical therapist, you know, patients sometimes would tell me like, well, I don't want to share what's going on. Like things aren't good in my life, but look what you've been through. I'm like, no, everybody has their own shit. I'll say everyone has something and that's okay. And I have found even with um, runners and athletes, they're grieving when they can't run, when they're injured. And you know what you have to, if you don't deal with that and accept it head on, you're not going to get over that hump and recover. So you have to deal with what you're experiencing see what you can do to get out of it, and then you will get out of it. But if you just ignore it, it leads to a lot of a cascade of bad things. That's great advice. And I think we talked about it's not a, it's not a competition of, of grief or of, of woes or, you know, everyone has their own struggles. And I think what you have um, to add about that, your, your insight is always um, really helpful. It's been helpful to us um, in helping people who, who, who are grieving and, and relating to them and helpful just in our own lives. I know with what we've gone through. So I often think of your advice in my head. So thanks. Thanks for sharing that. And, and we brought you back. How about that? <laughs> you can always come to us. We'll, we'll, we'll um, recite it back to you. Thank we can, you. We can feed it back to you. <laughs> so, but we wanted to have you on tonight too, because we are, you know, getting close to Boston. We're in the last kind of four, four and a half weeks to, to Boston. And a lot of people are training for spring, spring races. And we are starting to see, and we've seen, um, you know, our running circles and other, um, you know, running groups that we we interact with start to see um, injuries start to pop up, or whether they're, um, you know, perceived injuries or actual injuries, or people are worried about injuries. But this is a time when we're hitting high mileage, and it's likely that we're starting to feel some niggles. And what we wanted to talk to you about tonight 
was how we, first of all, kind of discern what is something to take action on. How, how do we make sure that things don't kind of um, transpire into something larger that's going to sideline us from our race? Um, how do we get to race day healthy? Um, and what kind of what steps do we take at this point to, to look at our assess what's going on in our bodies um, and, and figure out what do we need to do between now and race day to get there healthy, especially people who are experiencing actual injuries right now. And they're kind of panicking. Um, you know, we have a runner who just twisted her ankle and she's got Boston in four and a half weeks and she's panicked of, you know, am I going to get to Boston? Okay. We have runners who, you know, their knees are hurting just a little bit. We've had, you know, little things that are starting to come up that, um, that, that folks are kind of worried about with limited time left. Mm -hmm. So let's start by asking you, is there a reason do you think that people are starting to feel other than just, you know, we're re reaching peak mileage, but is, is there a reason or are there um, questions people can ask themselves at this point, if they're starting to feel little aches and pains um, that can help them assess whether or not it's something they need to pay more attention to moving forward toward their goal race. Sure, I'll first start off with your question of like, is there a reason? Because I see this in my practice too now a days um, for people training for Boston and spring races. And um, one reason I think is a big reason is the pandemic. And we've spoken about this before, how um, external stress will cause internal stress and physiological cha uh, changes and um, injuries I have found are, are slower to heal when you have that other stress. I mean, we have normal stresses in our lives, right? Now we have this pandemic that's two years you know, on. But I also find that people are tired of the pandemic and they just want to get back to doing what they were doing. So I feel like if they were used to training at 50 miles a week, hitting their, their high mark there, they want to keep doing it because they want to feel like themselves again. But what they're not recognizing is those little aches and pains because they just want to, they want to get back to who they were or who they are or who they feel they are. So I feel like people are just saying, you know what, I'm just going to do it because this is what I used to do. And I think they're just tired of having to modify. Um, so also these little aches and pains, I think as runners, we get used to them, right? We all have pains, but it is really important to understand like what is something that should really grab your mind of, you know, maybe this isn't right. And I have a very simple tool. You just need your finger. And I always ask my runners, where does it hurt? And if you can take your finger and point to it, that's usually not a good sign. That's usually like something's maybe brewing there, but if it's more like, you know, it's more general quad soreness and it's usually bilateral, it goes away maybe a day or two after a hard workout, which, and a hard workout, by the way, is a long run interval training, speed workout, tempos, hill training, um, those are all hard workouts. Um, it's typical to feel soreness for a day or two afterwards, but when that soreness lingers, when it especially creeps into everyday life, I, I hear this a lot. You know what? My knees never hurt, but now when I go down the stairs, they hurt. When I get out of bed, my heel hurts, but then it gets better. And I think also what runners do is when it, it hurts initially and then it gets better and they walk it off, they feel like, oh, all's good. All is okay it's not okay if it keeps happening every day. So you have to recognize even if it goes away and it keeps happening two, three, four, five days in a row, that's a, that's like, I call it a red flag sign. And so what can runners do with that first kind of sign of red flag pain? What is the first thing that you recommend runners do? Uh, not ignore it, <laughs> but what you want to do is, um, 
I have like a list in my mind um, of like a checklist because I give a lot of talks about how to prevent injury. So really, I'm a terrible business person. I don't want you coming in with an injury. If you have this red flag pain, there's no reason why it should turn into an injury. None whatsoever. So if you, the first thing I think about is, okay, what can I do right away? It hurts when I touch it. It hurts when I do certain things. You could ice it. You could heat it. That's like my first easy modality that you can do. Um, there's research out there that shows, that demonstrates that heat may be best for an initial injury. I'll be honest with you. I think, and I find in my practice anecdotally that ice seems to work really well the first 48 hours, whether it's an ice bath for 10 minutes or it's an ice pack for 20 minutes twice a day. That's what I would recommend for any type of, even a soreness, but any type of red flag. After 48 to 72 hours, I usually switch to heat, a heating pad for 20 minutes or so. Um, could you try heat right away? I'm going to say you could, but if it's, if that body part is swollen, I wouldn't recommend it. It could, it could make it worse. So that's the first thing you can grab is, is ice or heat. Um, then there's other things I think about is training. Most injuries, honestly, are caused by our training schedules. And it's not necessarily the schedule itself. When you have a running coach, it's more of trying to stick to what you have written down when you have this red flag pain. So this is where I ask you to listen to Lisa and Julie, and it's all about modifying. And that's where you have to have faith in your coaches to get you there. And you have to have trust in your training that you had prior to the red flag pain. I say that a lot to my runners. I said, I asked them, I go, how was your training before then? And most often they say, my training was really good. Okay. You have that. You banked that. You have to recognize that you have that in you. And now you just have to get over this hump and recognize that red flag pain so you can get back to a more proper training schedule. And if I, I could interrupt, just one key point though, is when, if you are working with a coach, if you have red flag pain, try not to minimize it to the extent that you're not sharing it with your coach. I, I don't want to say keeping it a secret because that sounds accusatory. That's not what it is at all. But sometimes when we have a pain, a way of dealing with it, in addition to ignoring it is not saying it out loud. Cause when you say something out loud, it makes it more real. So um, I, I, I yeah. think you're right about that one. I think that's very true. It makes it real, right? Um, you, you need to listen to your gut, but as a runner, sometimes we don't because we see, we have a training plan and we have to stick to it. And my coach believes in me. My coach wants me to do this, but you know what? Your coach just wants you to be healthy and run pain-free and get to the starting line healthy. So recognize that the coach is on your side and not against you. And you're not going to disappoint your coach. You Honestly, a coach, I find coaches are disappointed when they don't know that something is going on because they could have done something to help you recover very quickly. But when it gets to a certain point, weeks, months later, that they recognize I should have maybe I should tell my coach now it should have happened in the first place. So Rachel, I think a lot of people may be afraid to either tell their coach or their running buddies or whoever, first of all, because it makes it real, but also because the advice that they're going to get from other runners and especially their coach is they're afraid that we're going to say, don't run or stop running. Okay. We're going to, you know, give you several rest days in a row, but 
um, I know we will often modify training and how, what are ways to modify training where, um, I know it depends on the injury and the severity, but what are ways that, that, that runners can modify training where we're not going to say, okay, stop for now, you know, three days a week and, and how many days, you know, how, how do people know, how do runners know how many days they're going to need to kind of be silent? It's hard to know, but I take it a week at a time with the red flag pain. Um, what I like to do is I say, I, I rarely tell someone to stop running. And that's if they come to me after months and months and they're limping, you know, something where it's really um, affecting everything, their everyday life. But otherwise you just have to modify. I, I like to, for the first week, I, it's also based on, first I'm going to say, it's okay to take a day off. It's okay to say, you know what, I'm not feeling it today or my foot's hurting today. I'm just going to take a day off. There's nothing wrong with one day of rest. Now it's really important being four and a half weeks out from Boston that you trust your training, like I said, and then take this, take the week, the next week after you feel that red flag pain and modify by not doing any hard workouts, which I mentioned before what those hard workouts are. I like to then back off to maybe every other day of running, but you can cross train the other days. Be careful when you cross train. I've seen this. People cross train really, really hard. They'll do a 90 minute Peloton and stand up half the time and they wonder why their knee is still killing them. You have to recognize your pain, whether you're walking, running, using the elliptical, swimming, it's all the same. So by modifying your training, by cutting out the hard workouts, but still doing a few easy runs, I think is the first step to getting back to your training schedule the following week. Rachel, what are your thoughts um, about Advil um, anti-inflammatories? Because, you know, a lot of people use vitamin A and, and our runners are, are very knowledgeable. I, we know how knowledgeable our listeners are, but at the same time, many people have the inclination, understandably, that as soon as you have a pain or some swelling, you reach for Advil. So can you talk a little bit about the implications of that and your thoughts on taking Advil. Well, one, um, I'll just say I'm not a physician, so I, I can't, I'm not the expert on that. However, um, if you find, I'll start with this. If you find that you have to take Advil before you run, red flag pain, Tylenol, any type of anti-inflammatory or pain medication, it's, a red, it's saying to you, uh, I just need to get through this run, so I'm just going to take something to hide my pain. Taking Advil after you feel something, there's a reason why your body has inflammation, normal inflammation, healthy inflammation. What it does is it signals to your body that there's a problem at that body part. I need to send the nutrients and the cells that I need to get better to that area. Do you really want to shunt that with taking a whole lot of anti-inflammatories? You really don't. So be careful with that. People with GI issues and NSAIDs, not good. Be careful with Tylenol. You can really damage your liver if you are taking lots and lots of Tylenol to help with your pain too. Another red flag. So I'm not a big fan of taking medicine. I find you don't need to take medicine, honestly, if you just modify your training. If you just, if you just work with it, I call, I always say this, what is your limit? What is that fine line? Can you run four miles and have no pain during or afterwards, but after that you suffer? then you know what? I'll tell you to run four miles and I'll tell you to cross train. So find what you can do pain-free and you, you won't need any anti-inflammatories or pain medication. Rachel, are there any other um, 
you know, assistance, forms of assistance that people can use. Other, we talked about ice and heat, but um, compression, Theragun, um, uh, you know, uh, TENS units. There's so many, um, you know, compression, uh, the, the uh, Normatec boots. There are so many modalities that are promoted for recovery. Epsom salt, you know, is there anything that people can, you know, add to their, um, their repertoire other than cross-training and modifying their training that can help with, with speed recovery? Absolutely. Um, I, especially when you're hitting this point and say, I'm going to say the Boston Marathon training where you're hitting high mileage and just naturally your, your muscles will get tight. So I'm a big fan of using not necessarily a foam roller, but I like yoga balls because they're more tolerable and they, they, they glide over curves like your hips. Foam rollers are kind of tough and hard. And how many times have I heard people say this, this foam roller is killing my IT band, but I'm going to keep doing it. Well, if you keep rolling your IT band with a foam roller and it's killing you, you're not relaxing, you're not helping yourself. It's not gonna really have the effect that you want. So I like, I like massage, I like massage therapy. Go to a massage therapist who understands runners because then they will know where to look for tightness. It's usually in the hips and they'll ask about your history because they may go to other areas of your body that you didn't know were even tight. So Theragun, gosh, I hear that a lot. People, it seems like everyone has a Theragun. Everyone got it for Christmas. Um, be careful with the Theragun. It's, it's a pretty harsh modality. It doesn't mean that it's bad. And a lot of people love it, but I wouldn't do it over that area of specific soreness. Like again, when I mentioned that pointer test and you can point to that pain, I would use a Theragun around the area, away from the area, not over the area. I find it could actually be more of an irritant than help out that help out that pain. You mentioned tens unit. You know, I'm surprised at all these modalities you can get online as like a layperson. Um, I pay a lot of money for modalities like electric um, stimulation. I don't know what you're getting uh, um, when you're getting things online. There's different frequencies and wavelengths. Uh, be careful because I, I I don't know what they're selling you. So um, tens units, just so you know, do do not heal anything. They do not heal your injury. What they do, it's called the gate theory. They basically close the fence on where the, how the pain goes to your brain and you don't feel the pain. It doesn't mean you don't have pain. It just means your brain's not recognizing it. I would say that's not really very good for your training because you're not recognizing what things hurt. So, um, so those are some of the modalities I think are really good to do in terms of compression, the Norma tech. I know I see a lot of advertising, I think they're good for recovery generally um, in terms of when I say recovery, recovery from like, say, a long run, you know, something, a hard run in terms of recovery from an injury. I'll be honest with you. I'm very um, research oriented research. I don't see a lot out there about that. I know if you have swelling, having ice and compression and elevation are good, but compression devices, um, I would say you could try it, but they could cost you a lot of money. So I'm not sure if it's worth the investment. Thanks. And can talk a little bit then about how runners can re-enter running. So they've, you know, they have this red flag pain, they take a week, they, you know, rest, they elevate the ice, they, you know, do everything you've talked about. They've done some cross training. How do you re-enter running and how do you test it out and see if you're kind of past that injury? I love that question because I think people don't think about that. I think they, if they're going to think about their bodies the right way, they'll think about, okay, how can I heal this? But then they don't think about, well, I haven't run in a week or plus, right? So how do you get back is 
almost as important as how you heal yourself because I don't want you to get injured again. So I tell people, if you say are on vacation for a week and can't run, right? I had that the other, um, a couple of weeks, I went to Colorado and I could barely run two miles because of the altitude. I couldn't go back to track workout like I did the week before I left. If you can cut back, I usually tell people about 25%. If you're not injured, I'll say, if you have maybe little aches and pains and it's not really stopping you because they're barely there, take a week uh, or you're, you're, you're traveling and you just can't run the next week, cut back by maybe 25%. And perhaps on the speed workouts, you can still do them, but maybe cut back on the pace by 20 seconds. I always tell people make new friends because people say to me, but my friends run at this, make new friends. There are plenty of nice runners out there. So, um, so I made new friends when I got back from Colorado and it was really nice. Now, if you are injured, that's a different story and you take time off because of the red flag pain. What I'd like to do is I like to start with a, like a jog walk regimen. I like to see, I don't think about mileage. You got to have to throw that out the window. You have to think of time on your feet. So if you haven't run because whether it's one week, two weeks, five weeks, you want to start with maybe a five minute walk. You want to jog for maybe two to three minutes and walk for one minute and do sets of that. Do two minutes running, one minute walking and do say five or six sets of that. Don't worry how far you're going. You need to know if your body can handle being on your feet for an X amount of time. I'm very methodical in my practice. I, I want them to do a certain number of sets. And if they do well with that, I'll increase by a certain number of sets. If you do it randomly, you're not going to know how to progress. So that's how I believe you should cut back. I find a lot of people get injured when they're not injured in the first place. They had to take time off and they go right back to running 50 miles a week. You, your body will not do well with that. And, you know, it makes sense on a micro scale because we've all been there where let's say you traveled or had to sit in a car for a long period of time, uh-huh. typically your run that day or the next day feels really awful. Even if you've been running consistently, it's kind of a product of your body, not moving and staying loose. So similarly, if your body isn't in the same running motion for a, even a short period of time, you've got to ease back into it because it's a little bit of a shock to your body. And now again, that people are starting to travel, but think about this. You're sleeping in in a bed that you haven't slept in. You just sat on a plane. You sit sitting, you sat in a car. You're absolutely right. Your body can just get tight in ways that you weren't used to. And then it can change. It can alter your stride and alter your form, which could lead to like a red flag type of pain. So practically speaking, Rachel, like all this advice is, is really sound. It makes perfect sense, but a lot of folks in our sphere and many of the folks listening to this podcast episode are perhaps in the position where they've got a little bit of red flag pain. It's common, especially at this point in training, but they're running the freaking Boston marathon and they are not going to ease back necessarily into their training because Boston's in a month. So what practical advice can you give to people who right now are either a little bit injured on the verge of injury, coming back from injury, but they are going to run the race um, because they qualified and that's it. So as a physical therapist, um, what advice would you give to that group of runners, many of whom you treat? That's a great question. The first thing I always do is I sit down with them and ask them about their training schedule. 
I want to know very specifically how many miles a week, how many days a week, what's their pace and so forth. I also remind them, I always ask this to marathoners. I go, have you done an 18 plus? Have you done one long run of 18 plus? At this point, people have done a couple of 20s at least. And I tell them, you're ready to run the race if it was tomorrow. So the only good, the only thing that would come out of you keeping to your training schedule this week is not to add to that. It's not going to add to your cardiovascular health or your physical health. It can actually set you back. So I say, I want you to trust your training. You want, you're, you've been doing great. What I want you to do is just back off mile. I'm not going to tell you to stop. And I'm not going to tell you not to run the race. Even with red flag pain, I'll tell my Boston marathoners, I get it. I want you, I know you want to run the race, but let's minimize everything that you could feel during the race that is not, that is negative. So I, I highly recommend, I tell, I said, take one, let's take it one week at a time. You know what? I don't want you doing, let's just do this. You, you don't want, you want to do your long run. Okay. Instead of doing 20 this week, let's try 14 and see how that goes. And then we can ramp back up and then speed work, track workout. Do you need to do a track and a tempo workout this week? I feel like a lot of times I'm bargaining with my runners. I, there's my ideal and they're realistic. And let me come, let's come to like a, a, an intersection and, and just agree upon something. So even if my, in my, I, you know, my mind, I'm thinking they shouldn't be doing this, but they're not going to listen to me. Otherwise, you know what? Let's compromise on this. Let's not do a tempo run and a track workout. Let's just do one. And you know what? Instead of doing um, marathon pace during a 10 miler that you have for five of those miles, maybe just do one or two or maybe just run 10 miles. Um, so I try to give them some options. So the key is, is trust the training that you have. If you have at least an 18 or 20 under your belt, you are gonna be just fine for the race. Um, just don't, don't push yourself for just a few days. That's all I'm asking. And then we can try to come back up to where you were in your training. Does that make sense? Rachel, it does. If somebody is listening or somebody, you know, runner doesn't have that 18 or 20 mile, or they're still kind of mm -hmm. struggling to get back, what can they do? And I mean, is there a race strategy they can employ? What can they do between now and race day? And what can they do on race day? Because like you said, if they, they want to go finish this race, they want, especially Boston, they want to finish Boston. What can they do? Great. Another great question, because you're right. Like realistically, maybe some people weren't able to get in those long runs. Cause to me, those are, those are key. That's what you need. Um, you know what, then you're, you're, you're dead set on running 18 this weekend. You know, why don't you try this? Why don't you try running for two miles and walking for 30 seconds? Why don't you just throw in some little walks to kind of, I call it resetting yourself. When we run and we're fatigued, that's where like the red flags really rear their ugly head and your form really suffers and you may not even know it. I like taking little walk breaks throughout the run and that calms things down and gets you reset and more aware of what your form is like. So I think I get it. I want you to do your long run. You're having some pain. Let's try that. I've also had people say, I've said to them and I've convinced people and it works and they're still able to have a great race. You know what? You're supposed to run two and a half hours this weekend. Is there any way that you would consider biking for half of that and elliptical for half of that? Cross train. It, it, it's cardiovascular, right? It's You're just trying to make sure your body can handle that time. I find that's a great, way to compromise, I'll say. I do a lot of compromising in my practice. Absolutely. And, and while I know it's a tough thing for a lot of runners, pool running is a great tool to use uh, because it really mimics running. And, and 
now there's so many things you can do. It used to be pool ran, it was so boring, but now at least, you know, with all of the waterproof um, headphones and such, you can listen to a podcast or something like that and actually, you know, have something to do to make it less boring. But let me ask you also with respect to cutting back, um, one thing that seems to work for a lot of runners and just wanted your thoughts on it is the pattern. Um, If you are teetering on injury, regardless of your progression, it seems to me that one thing that's consistent is running every other day and avoiding consecutive days. So can you talk a little bit about that and why that's something you recommend regularly? Absolutely. It's called recovery, muscle recovery. Um, I I find running every other day gives your body a chance to heal, to be honest with you. And you don't have the repetitiveness. Um, I don't know. I've seen some people in races do this. They run up a hill or down a hill, kind of zigzaggy. And, and um, I don't see it often, but I, I've seen it because they want to avoid that repetitive. You're only in one plane of motion. You're going straight forward. Um, so when you run every other day, it, it allows for your body to not have that repetitive stress every day. It's for recovery. And I also just want to go back to what I mentioned about, I want you to note why the, how I said about cross-training for the long runs you notice, I didn't say go biking for two and a half hours. I didn't say go swimming for two and a half hours. I've seen this with some of the um, more intense runners. They're getting other injuries. I had a runner swim for two hours. By the way, he hasn't swum much at all, but he's a kid. He drowned. He didn't drown, but you know what he came in with? He said, my shoulder's killing me. I'm like, okay. We, I'm only dealing with one injury at a time. I don't want to deal with that. So that's why I said, don't just do one thing straight, especially if you're not used to doing that. So I'm sorry, it was just on my mind. Uh, Julie, I hope I answered your question, but that was on my mind where be careful about the cross training again, um, switch it up a bit. And I think that'll help too. Again, with the repetitiveness, like you said, every other day, you don't want to do the same thing every day or all in two hours. It's, it's too much for the body and you get tired. Your body's tired running 50 miles a week. It just gets tired. What about strength training, Rachel? Um, you know, obviously you're going to want to, people want to do particular strength exercises to help with their recovery from whatever injury, but people who say, well, can I go do my strength program? It, it, what kind of, uh, modifications do they need to make? And what kind of considerations should they look at when they're looking at, you know, my knee hurts and then they're going to go try to go do some squats and lunges. Like what, what, how do they modify their strength training? That's a great question because when people have red flag pain, I always say, you know what, if you're running a little less, you can do a little more strengthening and fit that in there. Um, and also strengthening just so, cause I get this question a lot. I spoke to a high school track team today and I asked, name some cross training things. And someone said weightlifting and that's not cross training. It's a supplement to what you're doing. It supports you, but, um, cross training to me is keeping that heart rate elevated for a period of time. So weightlifting, I don't believe you need to go to a gym to, to strengthen your body for running. I think you just need your body weight. So be I don't love, personally, I don't love deep squats. I think of exercises that will help you that have to deal with your running form, right? So when we run, do we go into a deep squat with your knee? No, there is absolutely no reason to do that. Do we go into a deep lunge when when we're running? No, we don't. So you have to think of exercises that will pair with your actual running mechanics. 
Um, I think I tell my runners, if you could, if you could fit in 15 minutes to 20 minutes, three times a week doing running specific exercise. And I know Lisa and Julie, you give out excellent exercises that I just hope they, they do. If they can do at least two times a week, preferably three, that will really help support your running. And especially if you're hurting and you can't run as much, great time to pick it up. You just don't have to go to a gym to do it. You just have to have proper form, work your core. Running is a single leg sport, stand on one leg. Can you even balance on one leg? You have to see how, um, how you do with basics first. And when should runners come to see a professional and what type of professional, how, what, how do they decide what type of professional? Do they see a PT? Do they see an orthopedist? Do they see a podiatrist? Who do they, how do they determine who they go to and when? Oh, and so, chiropractor, address that too. There's so many different, yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of different um, healthcare professionals out there. What I tell people is if you really follow the the rules that I I say to do after a red flag injury or pain, I'll just say, it's not really an injury at that point, but pain, which is modifying, cross-training, checking your footwear, right? Are your shoes the right shoes for you? And do they have too many miles on them? Ice, heat. After a week's time, if you're really not significantly improved, I think that's the time. I don't think you wait and say, well, maybe next week. And then maybe next, you know, because people want to stick to their training and they're just hoping and and hope, hope is not what Howard, my, my husband used to say is hope is not a strategy. And, and that's a really good phrase, right? How many times I hope, I hope that's not a strategy. That's not going to get you anywhere. But if you, um, um, make sure that you're, you're following what you should be after a week's time, I would see a healthcare professional. Now in the state of Maryland, you can go straight to a physical therapist without um, seeing a doctor first. I usually tell people to see a physician first, and I'll, I'll describe which one in a second. Um, if you feel like something is broken, like say you had a traumatic, you fell, um, or if you are searching for anti-inflammatory medications, um, x-rays, diagnostic tests, um, that we have some great physicians in this area that sometimes I'll say, you know what, I, I'll talk to someone on the phone. I say, I don't want to see you. I want you to see an orthopedist. Number one is you want to go to someone who understands runners. You want to go to a physical therapist who understands runners. You need someone who understands the biomechanics and will look at how you run and will ask you questions about your training schedule. And the big red flag of when you go to a healthcare professional that you want to literally run out the doors if they say, just take two weeks off and then go back to it and you'll be fine. No, you, what happens when you take two weeks off and you go back to it, you hurt again. So I've seen that unfortunately too often. So I would go to an orthopedist for musculoskeletal strains, sprains, um, things like that. Even sciatica, you can go to a spine specialist, orthopedist who understands runners, a podiatrist. You can go to someone, if you're having foot pain, it could be a podiatrist or it could be an orthopedist who specializes in, um, in foot and ankle. Um, in terms of chiropractors, you mentioned, there are some really good chiropractors out there. The, for me, how I look at providing care to someone is I want to give them the tools they need to get better and to stay better. And if you go to a healthcare professional who keeps wanting to see you twice a week for many weeks at a time, and you're feeling better or you feel better for a day or two, but then it goes back to what it was then you have to rethink who you're going to, right? I don't, if I, if someone is better, significantly better, and I say six visits or so for me, 
I either have to change what I'm doing or I have to refer them to someone who can help them. But if you're keep going, if you keep going to someone for, I've seen this runners, I've been to, they tell me they've been to another physical therapist for three months and they're not better. And I want to, I say to them, why, why did you go for so long? Well, they're like, well, I, I don't know. I just, I don't know. And that, so I just wanted to, to let people know it's okay to say this isn't working. And then the person you go to should help you figure out what will work for you. That's a great point. You've got to be your own advocate. Yes. And okay. So let me ask you a question about this. Can you share your thoughts about cortisone shots? Because this is also the time where a lot of runners would go see their orthopedist and get, get that shot because it numbs the area and you can run Boston. So can you talk a little bit about that? It's a quick, it's a quick fix. So if this is a week before Boston and you have inflammation in a joint, um, cortisone shot, uh, maybe okay. I say that with an asterisk, 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 but I've seen it and I've seen people run races and then they, I just say to them, you know what, after Boston, you, you have to take time to heal yourself. Um, generally cortisone shots, I don't think they should be the top of someone's list. I think physical therapy, I think stretching, I think all the things that I said about when you have a red flag pain. If those things don't help, you certainly could see an orthopedist and they can give you a cortisone shot, which basically is an anti-inflammatory with a little numbing injected into you. One, it's invasive. And I always try to avoid invasive procedures. And two, cortisone, if you look up the research, again, I'm research oriented, it can damage healthy tissue. You don't need to damage any more healthy tissue because you already have tissue that's damaged. So I I would be wary of cortisone shots unless you've really tried everything and you trust the doctor that you're going to. That's great advice. Any other words of advice that you have for runners as we approach Boston, but also, you know, any goal, goal races that are coming up, any other words of Mm -hmm. advice that you have, um, especially for runners who are healthy right now to stay healthy and get, get to that start line healthy. What, you know, what can we do in these last four and a half weeks when mileage is peaking and we've already kind of, you know, had some high mileage, what can we do uh, to get there healthy. Um, I'm going to say it again, trust your training. Okay. So say you have these aches and pains now and you're four weeks out. It is, you will, your race time will not change if you skip a speed workout. Oh, it will, it will change. Actually, if you don't skip a speed workout, it could actually hinder your time. Um, I, one thing I didn't mention is I always ask my runners, what's your goal, right? You have to ask your runners too. What's your goal? Is it if you, you, it's like you already go Boston's the icing on the cake. You made it, you made it here. So don't you want to enjoy it instead of have these fears of, oh my God, can I finish it? Oh my God, am I going to finish it in six and a half hours? You, you want to know, I want to know from a runner, what's, what's the goal. And I've had a couple of Boston runners who've had to modify that goal. Their goal was a, was a PR or just to do better than their previous Boston. But they've also come to me with two months of having an injury. So then we talk about, you know, tell me what you really, what what is the second, what else could you do? And they said, you know what? I just wanna finish and feel good. So just know that you can modify your goal. It is okay to modify your race goal based upon how you feel. But if you're four weeks out and having little aches and pains, I think you could stick to your race goal if you just 
modify your training. That's really number one. Skip the speed workouts or change your pace for those. Um, change your long runs to shorter runs and maybe for one week run every other day to just give your body a rest. I, I haven't met one runner who's running at peak at marathon training who's like, I feel so rested. I, I've gotten so much sleep that I feel great. I've never heard that once in my 26 years of being a physical therapist. No, everyone's like, I'm exhausted. So, okay, give yourself an extra, extra two days during the week by running every other day. And, you know, to that end, we talk a lot about goal setting on our podcast. We talk about it a lot with you and you, you talk a lot with your patients about goal setting. And I think something that's important to note, I just heard this, um, coach Ben Rosario just came out with a book this week. Um, and he was talking about it on another podcast where it's really wise to set your very specific race goals at the end of a training cycle instead of at the beginning. And that's a great way to prevent injury because instead of putting the number out there and, and, I understand why people do this. Of course, you, you have a number, especially those who are trying to hit a benchmark like a BQ. But if you have the luxury of waiting and seeing how your training cycle goes, and then at the end of that cycle, set your goal, it allows you to have the space to take those days off that you just mentioned to scale back a little bit on workouts, even to skip them all together. And then taking all of that data and putting it together and setting a goal, it's, it's more realistic and, and less stressful because you don't have that number hanging over your head for the 12 week training cycle. I mean, I love that idea. I think in the ideal world that it's amazing. It's amazing. It does. Like you said, it takes the stress off of you. We already have enough stress in our lives. And when you have this goal and I get it different for BQ, I, I, that that's different. But when you have this goal, just say running Boston, and you just feel the pressure, this pressure, especially I have runners who run in certain groups and they run at a certain, they run with their friends and maybe their friend makes a long run route of 20 with a million hills in it. Well, is that really the right, is that really the right thing right now to do when you're, even if you're healthy in your high mileage week, not necessarily. So making the goal at the end of the training, I think that's a fabulous idea. Yeah, well, I think this has been really helpful because I think um, you know, a lot of people are starting to get uh, race day jitters or nervous as we get closer. And I think what we can take away from what you've told us tonight is that you can salvage your race. You can have a strong race. You can still have a strong race. You maybe change your goals and you can achieve a different goal that you'll get to that finish line. But what you do between now and then is really going to determine that success. Because if you ignore that, that little pain that's cropping up between now and then you may not get to the start or the finish line. If you take action now and acknowledge that something may be off a little bit and realize that it doesn't mean that you're a failure. It doesn't mean that you're not going to make it to the start line. If you take that, there, there's still time, plenty of time. Um, and that, like you said, at this point in training for most of us who've been healthy to this point, at least, and gotten in a good amount of training, we're ready. And now it's about getting to that start line healthy. So that, that, that to me is encouraging. And I hope that's encouraging to people listening who are kind of starting to maybe worry that, you know, that they're not in peak condition or something is starting to bother them. And they're like, oh no, what you do between now and then is, is critical. I love 
everything you said, I agree 100%. And I'll reiterate what we said in the beginning, which is let your coach know if you are having some aches and pains, doubts about anything. And because they know how to modify your training between now and Boston. So you can still have a great, great race. You can, you can salvage usually Boston. If something crops up two weeks before Boston, you can salvage it. It, it doesn't mean run more. It means run smart. So I want people to know that if you run smart, you're, you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to reach your goal. You're going to be great. I think to, to, to that, to what you mentioned about mentioning it to your coach, um, I think sometimes it takes an unbiased third party to look at your, even if it's a friend that runs with you and not your friend who's pushing you to run the 20 mile hard you know, run and saying, no, no, it's okay, push through it. But a trusted friend or a coach or a physical therapist saying it, you know, turning to them for kind of an unbiased um, third party opinion as to like, what do I do? Because I think as runners, it's very hard for us to say to ourselves, okay, wait a minute, we got to take a step back. So I think that's an important point is acknowledging it and turning to somebody who can guide you, whether that's your coach or a PT or a orthopedist who can say like, no, this is what, this is what you need to do. I think that's, um, that's really important because again, we try to trick ourselves into thinking, no, this isn't so bad. I can just do one more run, one more run. And then we get into a bad position. Absolutely. And I think um, when you know you start your training program, take four weeks before you even start the training program. And that's when you prepare. That's like preseason. That's when you do the strengthening. So if you can get your body ready for the training, that's going to help you all the more by doing that too. Absolutely. And to that end, just to reiterate, if your goals do change, and we talked about this last week, it's not like your training cycle is lost. It's just a buildup for the next training cycle. Whenever you choose to begin that, everything works together. It's all cumulative and we learn from every experience and not everything can be a perfect race or a PR, but no one can take those miles and that training away from you. And it will serve you well, as long as we treat our bodies with care and do all the things you mentioned. And Rachel, thank you so much for always um, giving us such wonderful words of wisdom. We are so fortunate to call you a dear friend as well as our physical therapist <laughs> and Lisa, of course, your neighbor. And uh, <laughs> we greatly appreciate you coming on and, and talking with us. We know it's late and we don't want to keep you, but you're just the best. So thank you, Aww. Rachel. No, I, I, I just, I love working with you too, because I think um, we all have the same philosophy and our goal is to get our runners trained well and enjoy the race. Right. I mean, that, that's, that's really the goal. Um, so I think we're all, we're all in this together. It's teamwork. That's right. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the run farther and faster Boston marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryant, and if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.